today I want to I want to give you what I think is a primary solution for our identity because our identity is is in a person. It's in Jesus and it's in our relationship with our Father. Really, that's our identity, and I want to talk about that uh, because if we I honestly believe that if we can get that truth, it will realign everything else. There are some truths that if we can really grasp it for ourselves and apply it to our own hearts, um, it'll change everything. And, and this is one truth in my life that, that has really uh, changed everything for me and, and has made a big difference over time. These things don't happen overnight, by the way, right? Our shifting and becoming more like Jesus and understanding who we are, it, it doesn't come after we read a book. It doesn't come after we hear some talks. It comes over time as God grafts that into our hearts, as he heals us of wounds, as he uh, removes wrong thinking, as he shows us who he is more and more and we begin to walk with him. It changes. So this weekend, I mean, you're not you're going to leave here. And my goal would be that you'd have some tools and you'd have some things in your heart that you could work on. But but you would just you'd be another step further along the way and you would be able to reference back some of this. So that's what I want to talk about. So I'm going to look at where a godly self-image comes from, and then I'm going to illustrate through the life of a biblical character how this plays out and just kind of how it, how it looks for us. So let me just start with something. Uh, about four years ago, I was just, I had a significant dream. Now, just for, for those that might be new to the faith or just trying to learn what this is all about, God speaks to us in different ways. You know, he speaks to us through his word, and we just heard this morning... Scriptures. Thank you, Andy, for reading those scriptures. We heard God's word written down for us. So he speaks to us through that. He speaks to us through inner impressions that he gives us at times. He speaks to us through the prophetic, which is the Holy Spirit speaking through people and giving us instruction and, and encouragement. Uh, he speaks to us in dreams and visions. And I'm not somebody that has a lot of dreams that mean things, to be honest. I have pizza dreams a lot. Food dream. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like weird dreams. There was a bunny in the dream. Whatever. Like odd stuff like that. I, I, I would tend to have a lot of that. But I haven't had too many significant dreams. If you look in the Bible, there were some people like Daniel who he had dreams and visions that meant something. God was speaking to him in dreams. So God does do it. So about four years ago, I, I had a time where I was fasting and praying. And fasting is a, a really good thing to do if you're trying to seek God and focus because when you stop eating and when you stop or some kind of activity that you normally do, it it actually just opens you up to God more and you're you're more dependent on him and often you can hear him better. So what I did is sometimes I'll do what's called a Daniel fast with just, you know, vegetables and fruits and that kind of thing. And so about three weeks with that. Well, it was summertime and um, I wanted to hear God about our church and there's some things in my heart. So I thought I'm going to do a Daniel fast. But I'm going to do it for two weeks because we're going on holidays to where we go down in Montana in the United States. And there's this cabin there. Our whole family goes, extended family. Bad time to fast, right? You know what I mean? Like, oh, I can't eat those crisps right now. I'm on a fast. Like, it just wasn't going to work. So I said, no, I'll do two weeks. And then, then I'll, I'll, I'll be good. So I did two weeks. And then I went down to camp. We have a tent trailer. Um, you, know, you know what I'm talking about here? I, would you call that a caravan? Yeah. A trailer tent. Okay. Very similar. Um, so so we have one of those. So, you know, second night there, um, I had this dream. In the dream, I was in this really big mansion. 
probably something like I've seen over here. Just a fantastic mansion. And I knew a family lived in the mansion and that, that uh, you know, they were a great family. I also knew that they were adopting me into their family. And I felt like a kid in the dream. I felt like I was young. And I thought, oh, I can't believe this wonderful family is adopting me. It just, I just had this giddy feeling that I was going to be with this wonderful family. They had this wonderful house, this amazing house. And, and this is just glorious for me. And then as I was pondering that, the father was there. I don't remember what he looked like, but I just knew that, that he was the father. And I knew, and he said this about me. He said, he has always been a very special child. And I remember feeling so affirmed. I just thought, oh, that feels so good. He's always been, I knew he was affirming me. I knew that, that he was saying, you know, just building me up. Then we shifted to the kitchen. Now, people say, people are into dreams. Again, I don't have dreams a lot like this. But I've talked to people that are into dreams and the symbolism. They say the kitchen often in a house is the heart. It relate, relates to like your heart condition because the kitchen is often the, house, the, the heart of the home. Okay, you sit around the kitchen table, you eat meals there. So anyway, in the kitchen, I was handed this golden chalice. And it was amazing. If I could, you know, I won't do it justice, but it had jewels on it. It was gold, like I said. And right around the rim of it, there was um, like carved in gold. There was a vine. And then there was clusters of grapes hanging from the vine all around the rim of this chalice. And I remember it was like this. It was like holding, you know, it was held out to me. And as soon as I took it, I woke up. Bang. I'm staring at canvas. Wow. And like, seriously, that hasn't happened to me <laughs> often in life. I'm just awake suddenly staring at canvas. And I thought that was a dream from God. He just spoke to me. Right. Now, I, I didn't know completely what it meant, but I, I started to unpack it. Well, let's think about it for a moment. If we, can, if we can look at the adoption piece, right? Romans 8 tells us, Romans 8, 15, that, that we are adopted into God's family. That when we come to Jesus, we, we are brought into the family of God and it's, it's a spirit of adoption that we experience. So, so you and I are brought into the family of God and we are adopted and we are God's children. And before we know Jesus, we're out there in the world on our own. But then when, when we give our lives to Christ. It's not just, you know, some perfunctory thing. We're actually part of a family and we're actually adopted. And that feeling I had of, isn't this amazing? I'm in this family. Isn't this amazing that, that, that I, and, and, and this, this, you know, wonderful family with this mansion. Well, that's a picture of God's family. So I could see that. And then the affirmation of the father, he has always been a very special child. You know, that was the father affirming me, which we know he did with Jesus, right? When Jesus was baptized, he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so in that way, he was affirming me. And I believe the father was representative of God. He was affirming me in the dream saying, you're special to me. You always have been. Isn't that something? And then, of course, the chalice. He was offering me something. Now, when I look at it, I believe that it was connected to John chapter 15. We're going to look at that here this morning. John 15, which is a passage that Jesus, where Jesus talks to his disciples about abiding in him and being fruitful. And we're going to go back to that. But I believe that chalice relates to that picture and that God was telling me, I offer you fruitfulness. I offer you a fruitful life. 
And it's, it's, but it's based on your relationship with me. I'm your father. You're a special child. And it's based on abiding in me, in my relationship with you. So, so I'm going to unpack that in a few minutes. But I want to just share first why this meant so much to me and why it might mean so much to you. See, my dad died when I was 12. And he died of cancer. And, uh, you know, um, he was a good man. He had, he had his own struggles. Um, he, he, like many dads, including myself, he was flawed. And he was very perfectionistic. And sometimes he was hard on me and withheld, not meaning to be mean, but he would withheld praise from me. You know, I would do really well. I excel. But sometimes he didn't always tell me. He, he didn't always, you know, and even was hard on me even when I did well. And those are some things I grew up with. And let me just say this. We all, I'm a, I'm a dad now, and I've not been perfect with my kids, right? There's no perfect mom or dad. There's only one perfect father who's in heaven, right? We're all trying. We say, God, help us. And, but, but that was hard. And then when I was um, 20, I was dating this wonderful woman here. And we weren't married yet, of course. And she was 19. I was 20. And before that, I had begun to connect with her, I think, when I was 18. We went on our first date. And so her family was like the family in the church. They were, they were elders. Uh, her, her dad was an elder. And they did marriage counseling. They were farmers. They just were down-to-earth, caring, loving people, always someone extra at the table. You, you get what I mean. Just wonderful. Everyone in the church loved them. They were like the family. And she was like the girl in the youth group, right? She was the best looking, most passionate. That's why I really fell in love with her. And so, but, but not only do I get the girl, but I get the family. I get the dad who's handy. He had a plane. He, he, was a, he, he had a Cessna that he would fly from his farm. He, he um, you know, fixed cars. He was, just, he was just all this handy stuff. He painted my first car. I had a 75 Toyota Corolla SR5. A vintage vehicle. Anyway, so he helped me. It was all, it was this, you know, silver, uh, dull color. And he, he helped me and it was painted two-tone. And I went to Bible school with that. It was a pretty nice looking car. But he was, that's who he was. I think, wow, I've hit the jackpot. This, this guy, like I've lost my own dad, but I have this dad, right? Well, everything changed when I was 20. In January 7, 1986, both of them were killed in an auto crash. And, um, you know, we, were, we, we got married 10 months earlier, 10 months later, pardon me, uh, and it changed our lives. And I remember the night that they died. I remember all, obviously, the family had grief. I had my own grief. And I remember as they, we were all staring at the picture of the family, realizing that it was never going to be like that again. And as the rest of them moved away, I stood there a little longer, and I stared at the picture. And I remember thinking, Strike two, you're out. Because I thought, you know, I had a dad. He's gone at 12. Now I'm 20. Had the second dad. And now he's gone. And I won't have another opportunity. How, you know, <laughs> There's no, no other opportunity to have a father. Right? I mean, I can have other fathers and spiritual fathers. And to be honest, God's given me spiritual fathers since then. But I can feel the hole, the lack. Maybe you feel that way at times. Maybe there's circumstances here. I'm confident there is where you have that lack in your life, you know, maybe it's your father, maybe it's your mother, but you, either they passed away or maybe relationally you've never been close. There's that lack, right? But the encouraging thing is 
that God wants to be that in our lives. He is that, and he wants us to experience that in reality. And so as God has worked in my life over time, um, he, has, he has brought healing to me. And he has more and more shown himself as my father. So when he gave me this dream, it's interesting. He knew what I needed to hear. See, I, I was seeking him. God, give me strategy for our church. God, show me about the future, right? I had a reason. And God chooses what he wants to communicate. God says, that's all good. I'm going to talk to you about your relationship with me. I'm going to talk to you about how I'm your father. I'll choose. Yeah, that, that's all good. I'll, I'll give you that. But this is foundational. Because what I'm going to tell you is where everything comes out of. You know, we can go through life like I have at times where I'm just flailing and working hard and striving to try to prove myself. Part of the issue with my own dad was because, because I, I didn't feel I could measure up, I was, I was always working hard. And if you, I have a book called Life is a Highway, and you can get it on uh, Kindle. It's, it's still pretty cheap right now. Just, just, this isn't a big ad for me. It's more, if you want to read up about some of this, I have it in there. You can find it. Um, but the, the reality is God wants us not to be striving. Let's look at John 15 for a minute. I want to paint this picture for you. This is what Jesus gives his disciples as a picture for their ongoing ministry beyond him. Here's what he says. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. So Jesus is likening himself. He is the vine and his father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so be more fruitful. You were already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Think of this just practically speaking. You ever, you ever prune branches at your house? You know, and we've done that, right? Off the tree or whatever. Now, I, I like to get those branches cleaned up quickly once I prune them. You know, when the leaves are on them. Because if you let them, you leave them there, you know what happens, right? The, the leaves get all dry and crispy. And then they all break off and it just gets messy. You know what I'm talking about? And often we do that. I don't know. We just leave it there, hoping that the uh, garden elves will come and clean it up. I'm not sure. But, but it just gets all crispy. It gets all messy because it's dry. There's no life to those branches. Once they're disconnected from the tree, they have nothing. They can't produce fruit. They can't do anything. And so Jesus is saying, that's you and me. Jesus is saying, first of all, that he is connected to the vine. He, he's the vine connected to the Father. And then we're connected to him. This is, this is an amazing picture that you need to see. We talk about who we are in Christ. We, it's literally what the Bible means. We are in Christ. See, when you and I give our life to Jesus, here's what happens. When God looks at us before that, he sees all our sin. He sees, and it's not that he... It's not that he wants to. It's not that he's nitpicking. It's just he sees it. We, we are flawed. We are sinful. And our sin deserves punishment. It deserves, it deserves us to pay the price for it. That's how justice works. But Jesus didn't want, God didn't want that. So he sent his son Jesus, who died, took all the sins of you and I on himself, died on a cross, put in a tomb. Three days later, he rises from the dead because death can't keep him down because he didn't deserve it. He wasn't sinful ascends into heaven, and then before he does, he releases his church to carry the good news to everyone. The good news is 
that when that before Jesus, you and I would stand before God in a sense on our own, on our own merit, which there's no merit. We're all sinners. We all deserve punishment. So standing before God in judgment without Jesus, is you're just naked and there's nothing to cover your sin and, and, and you're going to receive judgment. But here's the good news. Jesus died for you and I. So when we give our lives to him, it's like we are encircled by him. We are in him. This is a powerful picture. We are in him. And when God looks at you and I, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see our goodness because we don't have goodness. We're not good enough. Bible's, our goodness is like filthy rags. Bible's clear. Everything you and I do, our good works, is not good enough. So when, when we're in Christ, when we give our life to Jesus, like Jesus envelops us and his righteousness, his goodness, his rightness with God becomes ours. It's a, I mean, you should get really excited about this. This is like the amazing truth. I, I can never preach this without getting excited. And, and so when God looks at us, he doesn't see all the yuck. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And he goes, ah, my son, right? I accept you. It's an amazing thing. And it's not based on your merit. It's not based on how well you did. It's based on how well Jesus did. It's based on how holy and righteous he is. So he takes us. So this passage is talking about this. It says, remain in me as also I remain in you. It's kind of this, you know, he's within us. We're within him. It's a really difficult concept, but it's so true. And he says, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So I am the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Why don't you say that with me? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Again, back to the branch. Cut that branch off, leave it on your yard for a while. Nothing but death. Nothing but dryness. Nothing. That's you without Jesus. That's what he's saying. You stay with me. You stay in me and the Father. And you can, do, you can do what I call you to do. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. They're picked up. They're thrown into the fire and burned. Now think of this for a minute. They're picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. In essence, hell is, is the disconnection of people from, from the vine. Do you understand? It's the disconnection of people from the source of life. People go to hell not because God sends them there in that sense. It's because they're separate from life. They've never joined up with the vine. They've never been connected. God wants them to have life in this world and beyond, but they never connected with it. And so... They're thrown in the fire. Does that make sense? I mean, I was looking at this thinking there's so much picture here. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. That's truth that we need in our hearts. I'm going to talk tomorrow about how to put more truth in our hearts, how to deal with the lies we believe and how to begin to replace it. So we need God's words in us. We need the words of truth in us. Ask whatever you wish and be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I'm just going to keep reading. As the fathers loved me, so I have loved you. Now think of this for a minute, this transfer. As the fathers loved me, so the father said to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? That's how the father loves Jesus unconditionally. He's my beloved son. He has always been a very special child to me. Do you understand? That's how the father loves Jesus. And he says, as the father 
has loved you, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. So the Father loves Jesus, and Jesus loves us, and we are together. Do you see that picture? The, Jesus is in the Father. We're in Jesus in relationship, and together we are there. Wow. There's a lot to think about. But that's a positional truth that you need to ponder and consider. The love of the Father. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and I remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. How many people like joy? How many people like depression? Okay, nobody likes depression. We, we, joy is what we were meant to know. Joy is not circumstantial. Joy is based upon literally the force of God within us, his joy, which is our strength. And he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. If you understand this concept, if you walk in relationship like this, he's saying you will have a life of joy and it will be complete. Love each other as I have loved you. Again, the only way you and I can love each other is if we have the love that the Father gives us. He says, love as I have loved you. So it's a transfer again. He's saying, look, let me pour out my love on you. Let me show you my love. Let me work my love into your heart. And then out of that, you will love others. You and I were never meant to try to love people on our own. Ever tried to do that? You gotta love that person. I don't like them at all. But I have to love them, right? You know, you know the other comment is, you know, I love them, but I don't like them. You ever heard that? The good news is God does both. He likes you and he loves you, right? But, but the reality is we can't love because we don't, again, we're the dry branch. If we're not connected to the source of love, we don't have the love. We have nothing to give. I want to just say to some of you, you're really trying hard to be a good Christian, to be a good person, to be caring, you know. That's not what God's calling you to do. He's calling you to remain in him. He's calling you to understand your position in him. He's calling you to be a daughter or a son with a father who wants to walk with you. It's not about doing more. It's about being more. <laughs> being, being more in him, understanding who he is, having that revelation that sets you free and gives you life. That's what God wants. I love it here where Jesus says, in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Relationship. See, it's interesting. The father, the father calls us sons and daughters. Jesus calls us friends, brothers and sisters. I mean, it's just, for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Now listen to this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you so you would go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Let me give you an illustration on this. You know, we, we struggle with this sometimes. How, how many people, like over here in Britain, do they ever do the choosing part, um, you know, for, for teams? Like in, in phys ed, like in your, Right? They should stop doing it. Okay, so when I was a kid, I was asthmatic, skinny. I struggled with confidence. Okay, you get in the picture here. So then we would do that. Okay, line up. We got two captains. We're going to choose the team. Okay, I would be like the last or second last. You know what that does to your self-esteem? I'm a loser. 
Oh, I guess I'll take him. You know, there's no one else worse or better or whatever. And that's kind of what happened to me. Now, when I got older, I got just got to round this out. I played floor hockey and I got a little more coordinated later. I started scoring a lot of goals. So then I was chosen later and I was chosen like first. It felt redemptive. Maybe, probably carnal, but it did feel good at the moment. Anyway, but, but when I was younger, so, so we, we can think of it like that in our lives when it comes to God, that he just chooses us, oh, because I have to. I guess so. If you're all that's left, yeah, I'll take you. But that's not actually how God looks at it. He says, I have chosen. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That makes it really powerful. It wasn't like, oh, I chose God. I chose to give my life to him. No, no, no. He chose you. He pursued you. He wanted you. And he wants everyone else. And he chooses them. And he, he wants to pull them into relationship. This gives us value. More and more in our days, people need to sense their value. They need to sense they intrinsically are valuable to God. And if you were the only one in the world, people say this, but it's so true. Jesus would die for you. And Jesus would choose you because he wants you. He wants to know you in, rela in relationship. <clears throat> so this is a powerful picture that we need to embrace. So much to get in our spirits and so much that we need to embrace. I want to I shift for a moment and I want to show you from Moses how this works. Um, how this works with our lives. How this works with how God takes who we are and what we have, and uses it for his glory. So I'm going to paraphrase this for the sake of time, but I'm going to run around this out. So in Exodus 3, God calls Moses to lead Israel. Pretty amazing job, right? Big job, big task. Moses has been in the desert for 40 years um, guiding animals. And that, that's, I mean, if you've been in leadership for a while, though, you might think, well, Maybe that is good training, you know. Anyway, sorry. But I mean, you know, I've often thought, but, but he's not speaking. He's not, sorry, that sounded rude. I apologize. I'm just, I'm just saying, sometimes it's tough. So he's, he's, in, the, he's in the desert and, and he's, he, he thought he was great. He thought he was going to deliver. And God said, you're going to deliver Israel. Or he knew his calling, but he tried to do it in his own strength. He killed an Egyptian. He was an outlaw, had to run to the desert. And he ended up being there for 40 years as an outlaw, as, as running away from Pharaoh. And so after 40 years, he's probably let go of any dream he ever had to deliver his people from bondage in Egypt, to do anything great. Probably figures that the rest of his life he's going to tend to the, the animals. And so uh, he has this moment, burning bush. If you've ever, anybody ever watched the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? Okay. You know, as he goes up on the mountain and he's totally like black hair, he comes back down, he's gray, right? Anyway, I don't know. Just some things I noticed, random. Anyway, so, so he, he, he has this burning bush experience. And what happens is God calls to him and he goes closer. And then God says, take off your sandals. The place you're standing is holy ground. God, in essence, tells him, I've seen the misery of my people, Israel, and I'm sending you to be the deliverer. Now, Moses immediately responds to that, right? He doesn't go, yes, sir, I'm the guy. I know I'm the guy. I'm ready to go. He goes, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Ever felt that way about your life? Who am I? Who am I to do this thing? Who am I to stand up and tell people and encourage people? Who am I 
whatever. Who am I? So Moses says, who am I? And uh, God says, I'll be with you. It's interesting that at that moment, God doesn't actually respond to him and tell him who he is. He just says, I'll be with you. You're not actually doesn't even don't even worry about who you are. Be worried about who I am and I'll be with you. And I'm all powerful. So it doesn't matter who you are. You ever thought about that? It doesn't really matter how weak or strong you are because you have a big God. And he says, yeah, I'll fill in. I'll, I'll, I'll make it okay. If, if you're obedient, I call you. I'll be okay. Uh, you, it'll be okay. I'll lead you. So I'm going to just summarize here. Moses says, well, suppose I go to the Israelites in verse 13 and say to them, the God of your father sent me. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So now God says, okay, tell them I am who I am. So God says again, it's not really about you, Moses. It's about me and I am who I am. That's pretty daunting. He's just saying I'm everything and I go with you. Again, the focus is on who God is rather than who we are. Tell them I am has sent you. And so verse 16, he tells them to go assemble the elders to explain to them that God has seen their misery, that God's going to deliver them. He, he tells him to go to Pharaoh and ask for three days to take the people out of Egypt, all of them, to do sacrifices to God in the desert. But then he tells Moses, but, but I know that Pharaoh won't send you. I know that his heart will be hard. I know, but I'm going to do all these miracles. They're going to be amazing. And in the end, Pharaoh will send you and you'll be released. Okay, now go. Moses isn't convinced. Okay, if you watch this. Um, Moses, is, can, can you imagine? Like sometimes we look at this and go, "Well, come on, Moses. Can you imagine being Moses? Ah, I would probably feel the same way and worse. What if they do not believe me or listen to me?" And God says, and, and, and "Listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you." This is very interesting. The Lord says to him, "What is that in your hand?" Now Moses was holding a staff that represented his forty years in the desert. It's all he had. It's all he had to symbolize his work in life, really. And God said, what's in your hand, Moses? Moses saying, I can't do this. What if they doubt me? God says, what's in your hand? He goes, a staff. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses throws down the staff. And it becomes a snake, which is supernatural, of course. He reaches out, takes it back by the tail, and it becomes a staff. What was God saying there? And I want to focus on that for a minute. See, all you and I have, here's, here's where the problem is sometimes when it comes to abiding in Christ, believing that God the Father loves us, and then walking out and being fruitful. Here's the problem. Sometimes we think we have nothing to offer God or anyone else. It, we think, well, my life's been difficult. I've had failure. I've had wounds and hurts, and I've come to God now, but I really don't have a lot, Right? And I could never do this great thing. I could never be anybody because of my past. Or I don't feel highly gifted or whatever when I compare myself with others. But here's the good news about the Father and how he looks at us. When he calls you and I, he just simply asks, what, what is in your hand? What, what do you have? And Moses didn't in his hand have the ability to lead a nation. He didn't say, well, God, I took a you know, a master's degree in leadership, and I think I can lead Israel. No, he had 40 years of leading animals on a mountain, faithfully. And God said, that staff, throw it down. In other words, surrender what you have to me, and it becomes supernatural. 
See, that's what God wants to do with you and I. When God calls us, when God, and, and here's the thing, God is going to use more of you in the days ahead. He's already using you, but I believe that in the days ahead, he's going to increasingly mobilize more of you to reach more people because that's his heart. And so it's not about a few people being mobilized. It's, and that's the way this church is built. It's not about a few people being mobilized. It's about you as a body, as believers, being mobilized, going out and reaching people and taking the love of Jesus, right? And so he's going to come to you. God's going to come to all of you. He already has and he will in the future. No matter where you're at, he's going to say, I have something for you. And you're going to be like Moses. And it might be leading a small group. And you're like, I've never led people like that in my life. I could never do this. What's in your hand? Well, um, my past, um, uh, some things that I've done. Okay, give it to me and I will empower you. I'll take whatever you have and I'll make it supernatural. Do you see what I'm saying? And so Moses doesn't have it. Moses continues to tell God that he's never been eloquent, that he can't speak. He's slow of speech. Um, God continues to say, hey, I made you, Moses. I made you. You can speak if I enable you to speak, right? Finally, he just says, oh, Lord, please someone send someone else to do it. You ever felt that way? Oh, Lord, just send someone else. I don't even have any more excuses. I just don't want to do it. And God, it's, it says God gets angry at that point. And he says, okay, I'll send Aaron your brother, and in fact, he's on his way right now, and he'll help you, and he'll speak for you, and the rest, the rest is history. But the, the last verse, and then, then we'll be done. He says, but take this staff. This is God telling Moses. Take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Later on, think about this. Later on, when Moses divides the Red Sea, what does he use? He uses that staff. And do you know what it's called? It's called the rod of God. Wow. Think about this for a minute. That staff that represented Moses' work and service to God in the desert, in obscurity, didn't seem like it related to anything, represented his failure in some ways. The only reason he was in the desert is because he had to run away from Pharaoh. That staff, God took it and used it, and it became God's staff. And he performed miracles through it. See, <laughs> I get all excited about this stuff. But, but God takes your failures. God takes your wounds and your flaws. And he takes your inabilities. And when you surrender to him and you say, Father, I want to walk with you. Father me. I want to abide in you. I want to be connected to you. I want your life to flow in me. I want to obey you. Jesus said, if you... He, he, he talked about obedience, right? He said, obey my commands. If you obey my, my words are in you and you obey my commands, I'll do whatever you ask. And so there's an aspect of, of listening to him and being obedient. But he says, when you do, and when I call you to do things, I'll take all those things and I'll make them supernatural. I'll use your frailty, your weakness, your failure and I'll empower you as a son or a daughter to make a difference. And I don't know about you, but that makes me excited. That's an exciting reality. Romans 8, 28, 29. Pardon me, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So what do we do with this today? Well, I just, as we close, I... I feel that 
God wants to nail some things in in our hearts. And, you know, maybe today um, God has spoken to you about your need to take some of the truth that I talked about, to abide in him, to believe that you are special to him, you're adopted, that you're a special son, a special daughter, that he loves you, that he's chosen you, and that he wants you to remain in Jesus, who's in him, and that you would walk in the confidence that you are secure, that you're forgiven, and that you have a purpose. Maybe today there's some things from your past with your, your father, like, I, like my issues, and you say, you know, I need to go on a journey. I, I take the issues with my dad, and I superimpose them on God, and I think God's that way. And, you know, God's had to heal me, and that's a journey. Maybe today God wants to begin taking you on that journey. Maybe today you need to surrender your gifts and abilities to God. Maybe part of this is that God's saying, you know, stop fighting me, stop resisting you know, I want you to just come to me as a son or a daughter, and I want you to allow me to take what you have in relationship and do something with it. Maybe that's what he's saying today. Or maybe he's just saying bask in the fact that you can rest. Maybe you've been working really hard, laboring really hard to please God. And he's just saying, you need to learn to abide. You need to learn to rest in me. Let my life flow through you. Spend time with me. Out of what I show you, out of where I direct you to go, I want you to go and do what I call you to do. When I do lead you, you're going to have the gifts that I gave you, and I'm going to make it supernatural. Why don't you stand with me, and let's pray together today. Hope this is helpful. There's so much that could be preached on this, as you could sense. This could be a whole series of messages. This is a survey approach today, but I'm hopeful it lands. I'm hopeful something lands. Can we close our eyes and just, just reflect for a moment, and then I want to pray with you. Let's just reflect. So, Father, thank you today. Thank you today that you're our Father, that we can abide in you, that we are special. We have always been a special son or daughter to you. That when we look at John 15, we see a picture of us remaining in you, in relationship. You love us. You want us to be fruitful. You want us to have your hand moving through our lives. You want us to know the joy that's talked about. So, Lord, today I pray that that connection would be stronger. I pray today that we would go deeper. Just with your head bowed, eyes closed. Just so you can privately respond to God.